0: What's up, y'all? Dr. T. Hassan Johnson here, running a little bit behind, trying to stay on top of things. I hope everybody is well. Let me just get a little bit of this. So I hope everybody is having a good week. Things have been a little crazy, but nothing uh, too bad. Okay, let me just copy and paste this, and I think we'll be good to go. Let me see, who do I got in here? All right, what's up, Damon? Uh, Officer Faulkner, what's going on, man? (laughs) Malaika, MLR, what's going on? Uh, Chief of the South in the house. Uh, Brother Muada, what's going on? Good to see everybody. Okay, looks like we're rolling. All right, let's see, Ibo Sosa, what's happening, Issa, what's going on, Dr. Band clap. looks like we are moving, all right, so this is one of those strange weeks, um, trying to get everything flowing, had my first little, uh, uh, acupuncture, uh, Appointment today. So uh, that was a little strange. Not exactly used to people putting objects into my skin. That's a little awkward. Uh, But anyway, uh, feeling better. Lawrence, what's happening? Corey, see a few brothers up in here. Cameron, what's up? Shout out to my members, most particularly. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, Sharai, appreciate that support. I'll that in here. Uh, so it looks like we're ready to go. We got 82 in here. At least we did for a quick second. Uh, please make sure you like, share, and subscribe the video. it could be a little off, but here it is. Uh, okay. My watch has decided to join the show, too. All right. Uh, so we got a lot going on. Uh, you know, Keep a look out. I'm be doing my next film review on the film Attack the Block. So I'll be hitting that up soon for my film review crew. Um, and we'll check that out. uh Tarian, what's going on? All right, okay, so let me get it going. so yeah, as you guys know it's uh it's a lot going on. I'm gonna try and give uh what little uh bit of of my own humble insight I can, uh but y'all know the deal, right? We dealing with the planned failure of black boys, so we'll be getting into that soon enough. Appreciate that, Lawrence. My my little uh, got a whole collection of Negro League jerseys that I'm I'm really uh, re enjoying for the first time again. So uh, y'all might be seeing a little more of that. Um, always got to salute, uh, you know, salute the uh, Negro League as far as I'm concerned. Um, but that's what it is. Okay. So just in case you don't know, right. Uh, This is my membership program. Check it out. Uh, Become a member. Just click the join button right next to uh, right below the video. You see it right next to the subscribe button. Uh, So check that out and be a a gold member uh, level member, a diamond level member or an onyx level member. And I'm going to be adding a couple more components in this next couple of days. So keep a lookout for that. Um, Or you can go to Patreon and become a film review member. t T fitness appreciate that support Um, and the film reviews are basically uh, for fathers in particular but parents and and their use of film to talk to their sons you know kind of pass on particular values and life lessons but using film as a way to do it and you can use anything you can you can use any activity you can fish you can hunt you can you know you can play ball you know men usually congregate around activities and pass wisdom uh, but between fathers and sons in these days it, it can be particularly hard and most particularly during the the uh you know uh the pandemic i wanted to give people options that were readily available to them vance pretty much uh, pretty appreciate that support uh thank you so you know that said um just make sure that you look out for the film series and you'll find those reviews available through patreon but if you become a diamond or um an Onyx level member, you get access to those film reviews as well. Okay. Uh, y'all know recently I started something that I refer to as the sacred black masculine series. Um, so that said, I do have a couple of examples, although, uh, man, hold on. There we go. Sorry about that. One of them is a little strange, uh, a little different than usual. And, uh, Damn, I don't know. There's no There's no real way to say it. Um, all right, Bernadette, we got people in here from Canada. Uh-huh. Juan Carlos. <laughs> so you checking in with us from the Dominican Republic, bro? That's what you doing? <laughs> Hanging out in the pool, checking us out. What's going on, man? Uh, Naima, appreciate the support. Uh, Nigel, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, all right. So as far as the Sacred Black Masculine series, basically what that is, is usually every week um, I come across something positive that I want to point out particular to black men uh, that often goes overlooked. And our first one actually comes, what's up, Michael, good to see you, Um, comes in a strange form. This is actually a Facebook post and I'm gonna need to read it to you, obviously. There's a lot there, but trust me, when I get going, you'll understand. Uh, This particular post comes from one of the former uh, Angola Three political prisoners, Albert Woodfox and uh, He talks about his time in prison. And basically what he says is, you know, he says, you know, I called it the anti-rape squad. We set up guidelines for other prisoners who wanted to stand with us, work in pairs, never alone, use violence only as a last resort. Every Thursday on Fresh Fish Day, we armed ourselves and went down the walk, introduced ourselves to the new prisoners and told them they were now under the protection of the Black Panther Party. We escorted them to whatever dormitory they were assigned And we explained the type of games that a prisoner played to sexually assault or rape another prisoner or coerce him into being a sex slave. Don't borrow anything, we told them. Don't take anything that's offered. Don't ask for favors. Don't accept favors. If you do, you're opening up uh, to being in debt to sexual predators. We told them if they needed anything to come to us, we'd help them find what they needed. Soap, toothpaste, deodorant or zuzus the term we use for snacks like potato chips and candy. If we came up on anyone threatening another prisoner with rape, we stopped it. Sometimes all it took was to say something like, brother, lead that, lead go ahead on. Uh, this ain't going to happen. And that would be enough. Other times we had to fight. We put the word out that if you mess with someone under our protection, you had to deal with the Black Panther Party. As the presence of the party grew on the walk, we knew prisoners, shot callers. Uh, we knew the prisoner shot callers, those who had profit- profitable gambling, drug and prostitution businesses within the prison were watching us. I never had a direct confrontation with any of them, but we always traveled in groups of two or three. That wouldn't protect us from being attacked, but it made us feel better. Wherever we were, uh, in the dorm, at our jobs, on the chow line, on the walk, Herman and I talked about the Black Panther Party. Some guys would make remarks to me like, damn, man, that's all y'all talk about, the Panthers. I didn't deny it. For me, it was always the Panthers. Our list of enemies was long. It wasn't just the prisoner um, pimps and drug dealers, both white and black, uh, who hated us. Snitches gravitated to us too, trying to get information they could sell. security officers overheard us. We knew we were a threat to the status quo. I got scared of being killed sometimes, but I believe what I was struggling for was important, more important than me. It never occurred to me to stop what we were doing. So this is coming um, from a brother, Albert Woodfox, as I said, um, from, written from uh, Solitary Unbroken by Four dec- Decades in Solitary Confinement, My Story of Transformation and Hope. The reason I read this is um, this is a type of protection that we don't talk about. Uh, and even when we talk about the Black Panthers, we don't talk about that. Uh, we talk about their community protection programs in terms of carrying guns. But we don't talk about the, the ways you know, in which they invoked a certain type of brotherhood in a strange environment under questionable circumstances. And the reason I read it is not only to salute Brother Albert uh, Woodfox, uh, but also to kind of point to us. And I'm saying if these brothers could protect each other in prison... Can we support each other out here? Hell, can we support each other on YouTube? You know, at the end of the day, can we figure out how to invoke a brotherhood um, that we know needs to exist because there's nobody else coming for us? And you hear that a lot on YouTube. And it's true. There's nobody really kicking down doors to protect and help black men. It's just not happening. And the statistics show us that it's getting worse depending on what particular stat you're looking at. But the point I'm getting at here is that we do need a brotherhood. And and I think a piece like this is inspiring. So shout out to ACKS on Facebook. I pulled this from his page, but I found it inspirational. Um, And I I wanted to share it uh, to kind of inspire us to look to find new ways to support one another. Um, MLR, appreciate that support, sir. And thank you for being a member. Dark Knight Mentality, what's going on? good to see more of my members in here. Um, But yeah, so that's why I have him in the Sacred Black Masculine series, because at the end of the day, I don't know if I've heard too many stories about brothers protecting each other's virtue, uh, but more than that, um, serving as a, a sort of inspiration for us to protect each other in different ways. Because I think the conversations that have been going on in social media and on YouTube have a lot of potential for Black men, especially at this political moment, but none of it's gonna matter if we don't actually, you know, make use of it. Uh somebody shouted out to me that I see what happened with Ice Cube. I just got a you know a text on what happened with him, but I didn't get a chance to read it because I was starting the show. So I, I'm a little behind. Grinch, what's going up, man? Appreciate the support. Bring Gorillas in the house. Hope y'all make sure you support his channel. Um, you know, very powerful brother. He's been doing some incredible things re- recently, so check him out. The next one in the Sacred Masculine series is a young brother uh, named Lamonte Pierce. And this brother developed a lead filter um, straw for drinking water. Now, this is a couple years old, but I still found it necessary to shout him out because I ran across this. And like I said, Sacred Black Masculine series is going to be kind of random. It depends on what comes across my desk. But I wanted to shout him out. So this basically is about a Jackson State University student um, who developed his new invention that will help fight lead problems in drinking water. Uh, Lamont Pierce patented an innovative straw that he said successfully filters lead and other contaminants from drinking water. Pierce said he created the clean straw, which is what it's called, the clean straw, uh, because he got tired of getting boil water alerts from the city of Jackson. Walmart, the world's largest retailer, offered Pierce a vendor contract to supply 4000 stores with his filtration straws. Pierce said he hasn't accepted the offer, but hopes uh, to sell his clean straw in major stores. Now, that was a couple years ago. And I hadn't had a chance to follow up. I just wanted to kind of get this out so you guys can check him out and see, um, you know, what what's been going on with them. Force Windu, what's going on, man? Appreciate the support. Um, and remember after the show, we will have an after show just for my members. The link is already in the community tab. So as soon as we end here, I'm just going to go straight to there and members, you'll be able to log in and we'll go from there and diamond and Onyx level members will be able to come up on screen and we can dialogue about the subject of today's show. Okay. All right. So shout out to those two brothers, 227 people watching. Please make sure you like share and subscribe. You know the deal, support the channel. Uh, if you would, it's much appreciated. Um, we can go from there. So on to our current events. Y'all know the deal. Um, starting out, those who haven't checked this out, story about young brother named Navon um, Baker uh, apparently uh, was found hung, right? Um, this is in Orlando. Uh, Documents released Tuesday detail how Orlando police and the Orange County uh, medical examiner's office came to the conclusion that the death of a 22-year-old black man found hanging from a tree in a park on the city's west side was a suicide, according to them. Baker's family has disputed the findings and believe foul play is involved. Uh, They've been calling for Orlando Police Department to reopen its investigation, but the agency has stood behind its ruling. This is according to the article I found. Again, there may be an update that I haven't run across. However, Uh, The tweet that I was sent about this uh, said uh, that uh, he was found hanging uh, um, with his hands tied behind his back, bruises on his face and missing teeth. I don't know that. The article I found didn't corroborate that, but the tweet said it. And so I'm just kind of putting that up there for consideration so you can do some research yourself. But I will say um, this is about the fifth or sixth black male we know of in this last year, at least who's been found in public hanging somewhere has been at least one sister, at least, that I've, I've heard about. Um, and I would say that in this era, black folk, particularly young black people committing suicide, I highly doubt ropes is gonna be the method used. You know, at the end of the day, you know, there's a number of different methods. I'm not about to give people ideas. You know, if that if you're, you know, again, teetering on that bridge, I highly suggest you call it suicide hotline, get in touch with friends, get in touch with anybody that can be a supportive voice. Uh, because, uh, you know, we definitely don't want people taking their lives. But at the end of the day, I'm just saying I don't think that young black people in particular, you know, especially under the age of 25, are thinking about ropes. You know, it's just, you know, I I just don't buy it. Uh, So as far as I'm concerned, this is a lynching um, and this has been happening. And and the, the thing about it is it's been going on with black men, right, for the last few months. And I've heard very little about it very little, which is one of the reasons I bring it up here. What I try to do with the current events is bring up things that I think are important that don't get the kind of shine and airplay they deserve. So um, looking at this particular story, I I believe it's a lynching. I'm waiting for more information. But at the end of the day, um, this has been happening for a minute. And again, it goes under the radar and nobody really has anything to say. OK, so check that out. Navon Baker, look it up yourself. Keep up with the story best you can. And feel free to share with me anything you can about what uh, what may come out, because I don't always get to uh, follow up to follow up on all the stories I kind of bring up. I'm just putting this out there to say something to think about, something to follow. All right. This one was rough. This one was rough, y'all. Uh, WVUA23 News reported apparently by Chelsea Barton. Mother accused of beating and burning baby. Jaslyn Smith, 27 years old, is being held in a Tuscaloosa County jail, charged with aggravated child abuse. She was initially charged with willful abuse of a child in August after confessing to beating her one-year-old child with her fists. The abuse was captured on cell phone video. Court records filed October 1st reveal that investigators discovered more videos of Smith allegedly abusing her child by holding him down while burning the back of his leg with a lighter and hitting the baby over and over very hard with the belt on the baby's bare back. Smith's bond is set at sixty thousand dollars. There's a number of these kind of stories that I'm going to talk about today and I've been talking about and likely still will because um I'm not saying this is the the influence behind this particular story, but I've been seeing a lot more of these kind of stories lately. I think the panic, I think the you know the panic with the pandemics, economy, and all the things that are going on, I'm seeing more and more stories about people losing it, killing people, attacking people, even children out of and and, and it's not to say this hasn't been happening. It has been. Um, and it's often Black men, ma- males that are kind of the, the face of random violence, even though there's plenty to go around. But I'm starting to see stories about people you don't normally see in the news doing these kinds of things. Now, um, in terms of this particular story, uh, I don't know what kind of mental illness issue might be going on here, uh, what's going on with this woman, but it is nonetheless something that often will fly under the radar after a while. And yet... Um, it's something I think needs to be paid attention to. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Kalam Jakala, only sixty thousand dollars for violence against an infant. Right. So that in and of itself is is ridiculous. And again, a number of the stories I ran across in the last couple of weeks that were at this level or worse has had kind of the similar kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, impact in terms of the law. Um, they've been able to get off. NJ Profit, appreciate that support. Um, so yeah, it's been it's very been very light in terms of how they're treated by the law in comparison uh to what black males often experience, but it is nonetheless where we are, right? Um let me see here. Okay, this is another one community mourn Sacramento High School quarterback who was shot and killed, Jalen Bet I hope I didn't mispronounce that. Jalen Betchart, 17, was found dead from a gunshot wound in his car after it crashed into a power pole in Sacramento, California. Um, uh, the high school is grieving the loss of their star athlete, uh, who was uh, shot and killed October 3rd in broad daylight, on my birthday, no less. Um, Sacramento police arrested another 17-year-old boy on October 8th in connection to Betchart's killing, it happened in the 3 3800 block of Jackson Road. Betchart was found dead in his car from a gunshot wound after it crashed. So uh, that's all we have. That's from an article from ABC 10. Um, you know, so my condolences to the Betchart family and to this young brother. Uh, but these are the kind of things that are happening across the country, and um, you know, black males in particular are highly vulnerable. So just to kind of shout that out. Um, and if you if you know his family or you live in the Sacramento area. You know, try and find ways to extend your condolences if at all possible. right. Now, this one is a trip. This one is a trip. Um, Don't believe in trigger warnings, So hopefully, uh, you know, you're not too jacked up behind it. I don't know what your situation is, but this is a young brother. I found this piece on uh, Facebook. It was actually, you know, uh, something I ran across. And apparently uh, he was attacked by his girlfriend with a knife and um one of the things that severely saddened me about this was when i went through the comments many of the comments of course were making jokes at his expense laughing at him particularly the comments by black women um you know it was all about how he should have you know done what she said it was all about you know underestimating the strength of women but all of it was dismissal at his expense Um, and you can see the severity of the issue, you know, and even men were getting in there and making fun of them at different points. And this is something I've talked about before, but at the end of the day, when you see black males in vulnerable positions, we have got to do a better job of supporting, you know, and I'm talking particularly to black men, we really have to do a better job of support. Nobody deserves this shit. Nobody, nobody deserves to have their ear cut off and then to be made fun of on, on social media. Makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but this is ridiculous. And this is the kind of thing that I'm seeing a lot of uh, lately. What is. Hold on. OK, let me turn this off. So people decide they want to get chatty right now on uh, Facebook. But anyway, Uh, I did not find out any information about what happened to her. Uh, I only found this with a brief blurb up about how it happened. And then from there, the comment sections went nuts. Now, I put this up on my Facebook page. So if you're interested in looking into some more details or going through the chat yourself, um, I do believe I left this one public. You can go to my page, Dr. T.S. Johnson on Facebook and check this out. I hope this young brother is able to get some support. But at the end of the day, we have got to find better ways to support one another, particularly black men who are victims of intimate partner violence. There's got to be another method we use to support one another behind beyond just jeering and uh, dismissal. Right. Because this can be anybody. So anyway. um, But again, yet again, if anybody wants to argue that, you know, intimate partner violence doesn't happen to men or men can't be victims of it. There you go. Right. Speaking of which, uh, this actually goes to a Disney Channel star. I'm not familiar with Disney Channel's character, you know, stars. I don't follow them, but I found this one interesting. Uh, Ronnie Hawk charged in domestic violence case. Uh, this is a TMZ article, but basically, uh, L.A. city city attorney slapped her with three misdemeanor counts for the July incident. She's now facing charges of domestic battery, assault with a deadly weapon, and brandishing a knife. Law enforcement uh, said that. Uh, her boyfriend Miles Fallon and she got into an argument. Things escalated when he bolted from the house. Uh, we're told Ronnie grabbed a knife and chased after him while he was in the parking lot. Cops were called the scene and she was arrested. See, so these kind of things, like I said, we're seeing more and more cases cases of this happening, right? And a lot of this is emboldened by the fact that you know, women are still not sentenced the way men are for the same crime, about 63% less sentence, uh, less of a sentence for the same crime as men. So I think after a couple of decades of this kind of bifurcated treatment, uh, there are many women that have grown up in a culture where for them abuse is more than acceptable uh, and within the realm of what they're allowed to do. But for men, we know that uh, even just the accusation of abuse uh, can end your career, can damage your reputation you know, irreparably, uh, can land you in jail. So it's very much... Um, a one-sided dynamic. And and now we're starting to see women being arrested more, a little more for this. But again, they're often not given the sentences that men are. So I I put these cases out there mainly because there's still a lot of people that don't believe it's even possible, but also because um, I want brothers to be safe. I want you to protect yourself. And sometimes using your own hands to defend yourself can end up locking you up. So I'm not mad about the fact that this dude took off. You know, I'm not mad that he, uh, that whomever called the police and all of that, we we actually have to start um, using, you know, more traditional methods because more often than not, the response I hear from brothers is what we would do ourselves if we were in the situation. But, you know, usually the responses I hear would likely end up with us locked up, you know, pretty much. And I'd like to see us uh, in, in engage in another uh, course of action that keeps us from being locked up that much more, especially when we're actually not guilty of anything more than wanting to defend ourselves. So brothers, please be careful. Please be strategic. Go back and listen to the show I did with attorney Dennis Sperling and listen to the advice he gives black males who are in situations where they might be in relationships like this that are dangerous. Listen to the advice he gives about how to navigate that. Right? Okay. Now, this one, I got to shout out Kevin Samuels. He actually brought this up on his show the other night. Uh, And I decided to look it up and check it out for myself. Um, And the reason I checked it out was not because I didn't believe it. I did know about this already. I just wasn't aware of this particular article. And it's very much in line with a show that I was going to do a couple months ago, but I never got around to, exploring Black men's, particularly heterosexual Black men's sexuality and the things that people assume they know about Black men versus what is actually true. Uh, this article confirms a good portion of what I was going to report on. So I'm happy that uh, the article is out. Um, but, it, you know, as you can see the title, Men Fake Orgasms Too, right? Uh, research suggests that men fake orgasms in one out of four sexual encounters, right? A uh, 2010 study psychologist Charlene Moulinard and Sheena uh, Shippey asked 180 male and 101 female college students to complete an anonymous questionnaire, asking them how often they faked orgasms, if at all. Among the participants who had sex, nearly 30% of the male participants uh, reported faking orgasms compared to 67% of the female participants, while most reported faking it during penile vaginal intercourse. Some reported faking it during oral sex, manual stimulation, or Zoom sex. That is a thing now, I suppose, has a name, Zoom sex. Uh, But either way, uh, again, the kind of assumptions most people make, and sometimes I hear this from men themselves. Is that all we need is a wet hole? Well, human beings are a little more complex than that, and believe it or not, so are men. Um, There actually is more that goes into that uh, in terms of what motivates and and stimulates men. And this belief that um, all men need is a wet hole is one of the things that I think has led to the objectification of men, right? Uh, So, what we end up dealing with in relationships is women tend to have a long list of desires, and a man. And uh, the kind of under the table belief that many women have is that in exchange for your height, your income, your accomplishments, your property, your possessions, all of those kind of things, in exchange for all of those things, as long as you meet the bar that they, you know, that we've started to hear since the 1980s about six figures and all of that kind of stuff, as long as you can meet that, what you get in exchange is access to her body. This is the kind of scale we're functioning on. And I and I can't tell you how often I hear about it. Right? Men have to have all these accomplishments. Women don't really have to have anything. But really, it's not that they don't have to have anything. It's just that they believe subtly that all men need is access to their their body, and that's it. So vagina for all of these these accomplishments. That is hardly the case, and that does not do it. And these studies like these kind of confirm that men are more complex than that. So uh, it may be enough for him to take the sex in the moment, but it is not enough uh, for a man to keep it. Uh, Legends, uh, appreciate that support. Thank you very much. Um, Got about 366 watching, so please support the show, like, share, and subscribe. I think I've started to lose subscribers. I had a brother reach out to me and explain that uh, he was unsubscribed from my channel and didn't know it for about three weeks. So um, I may be losing some subscribers if that's happened to you. Uh, you know, please make sure you resubscribe and and, and share the channel with others. Uh, much appreciated. Black Uru, what's going on? Uh, yeah, he says telling a woman you aren't getting off with her can end a relationship real fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, again, one of those kind of things that women don't believe is possible. Um, you know, because the idea is that you're supposed to just be happy with the sex and how dare you not be? It's not even a fathomable concept, but even some men would ask, well, how exactly can you fake it? And there's a lot of ways. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people don't actually inspect the condom after its use, or, uh, even if you're going raw, which I wouldn't recommend uh, unless your, your circumstances are, are well thought through, um you know, some men can claim to have, you know, come to orgasm and ejaculated and, you know, make the argument that they haven't produced much, you know, whatever. There are all kinds of ways that men do it, but yeah, faking it is a reality. It is what it is. All right. Um, Lawrence, <laughs> <she> you crazy. Uh, <laughs> hold on. What did say? he says, she might chase you with a blade too. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, but a lot of that, again, it, you know, goes to, you know, how we've taught girls, especially at a young age, but girls and women, that uh, sex was all they needed. Vagina was all they needed. And you could subdue any man with it. Any man will chase you. He will do whatever you want. It is an adequate trade for anything you want. All these kind of, you know, I, I flawed ideas. Um, and we have really overvalued uh, sex in that way. All right. Next one up Monterey cop accused of ramming ex's car into her own while baby on board, beating man with a bat. See, this is the kind of stuff I told you about. There's more and more of this going on. Now, it could be argued that more of it is being reported, but I suspect that the economy, the, the stresses and tensions of a lot of what we've been seeing is actually adding to this. Uh, But Montgomery cop accused of ramming ex's car into her own while baby was on board and then beating him with a bat. An officer charged in an off-duty domestic violence incident drove her ex's Mitsubishi into her own Jeep while their child was in the Mitsubishi and then assaulted the man, according to court records. Uh, Cedria McWilliams, 24, was charged recently with second-degree domestic violence, criminal mischief, third-degree domestic violence, assault, and third-degree, and I said it again, third-degree domestic violence, um, uh, reckless endangerment. Oh, okay, third-degree domestic violence, reckless endangerment, and assault. I guess those are two separate charges. Uh, The second-degree charge is a felony, while the other two are misdemeanors. So this is what we're dealing with. <laughs> and this is a police officer, right? All right. So this is what we're looking at. These are the kinds of incidents that I want you guys to, to be aware of because they're happening more and more. And again, I want you guys to be strategic and be careful because uh, this is what's going on. All right? All right. Next up. DNA clears Detroit man of slaying after 26 years in prison in New Haven. Um, Not going to go into a great deal of detail on this particular article. Again, I have this up on my Facebook page, too. But this is yet again another incident where we find a black man exonerated. And over half of the exonerations, if not more, have been uh, black males. Uh, And yet we can see. And I I think it is more. I stated it on another show, but I don't have that data in front of me at the moment. Uh, But yet another brother locked up for two and a half decades behind something he didn't do. And he's being exonerated. So what we're finding is these stereotypes about Black men are, are faulty. They fall short in, in, in too many instances. And yet, uh, too many of us can be locked up arbitrarily. And uh, it can take this long, if ever, um, you know, in terms of, of men being found innocent, right? Oh, man. So, you know, shout out to him. I'm glad he was able to get out. But again, these kind of stories... Uh, Sadden me. Um, let's see. I'm gonna kind of skip through a couple of these uh, here. Prosecutor accused woman of fundraising for her son's funeral when, in reality, she had placed the boy up for adoption. So this was an interesting story. You can check out on Insider.com. This woman had a GoFundMe account. She had, uh, you know, put her child up for adoption and was then, you know, saying the child died. See again, kind of stuff that's going on right now. People are are. You know, the economy is pushing people to all kinds of stuff. This is absolutely. This is robbery. This is misrepresentation. This is all of that. And I don't mean that in terms of a legal term, but it is what it is. This is what's going on. People are going to grave lengths to uh, make money in all kinds of ways. Um, So. Let's see here. Underrated. Appreciate that support. This one I thought you might find useful, right? Uh, Tactics young women use to resist condom use when a partner wants to use a condom. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Just let that sink in for a little second. Tactics young women use to resist condom use when a partner wants to use a condom. Although there is a growing literature on men's condom use resistance, they call it CURE or C-U-R tactics, Um, you know, example being, you know, direct requests or deception, little research exists on women's cure tactics. This study investigated young women ages 18 to 21 self-reported use of cure tactics since age 14 and related individual difference factors. Participants included 235 sexually active heterosexual women from a nationwide convenience survey sample who completed a newly adapted women's version of the condom use resistance survey. Consistent with the limited previous research, women were most likely to use risk level reassurance, 37.9%, and seduction, 33.2% tactics. All right, so they're using risk level reassurance and seduction tactics. A higher frequency and quantity of alcohol consumption, particularly prior to sex, lower perceived risk of sexually transmitted infections, and a history of STI diagnosis were associated with having previously used a greater number and variety of cure tactics. This highlights the need for uh, cure prevention and intervention programming for women. Future future research, research should Specifically examine women's rationale for using cure tactics and utilize longitudinal and experimental methods to further elucidate directional and causal relationships among individual level risk factors, cure and negative sexual health outcomes. So basically what it's saying here is that, you know, we all know that there are men who use tactics to avoid using condoms from just making the request that they don't have to wear it to, you know, lying about having it on or taking it off when she's not paying attention. We've all heard those kind of stories, but this study having been done with 235 uh, women actually found that almost 38% of women use what they call risk level reassurance, meaning it could, and that could be anything from, don't worry, I'm on the pill or I'm on birth control to I'm not ovulating or it'll be fine. And, you know, men actually taking that at face value uh, and then, you know, that's up to 38 percent of women who are using that kind of reassurance uh, and the other kind being just seductive tactics. Right. You know, before a conversation about condom use coming on, um, you know, she may engage in oral sex. She may begin to dance for you, take things off. Seductive tactics that distract from condom use. And this is something we find happening in my assessment, most particularly with, um, you know, women who are definitely interested in, um not just uh, not having the, to feel condoms, but are, who are actually interested in reproduct- reproduction. Uh, whether the man is interested in that or not, Father's Time, appreciate the support. Uh, aquateki thank you. Appreciate that as well. Right. So in these kind of instances, nobody talks about the ways in which women contribute to this dynamic. We just punish men. We shame men, right? You know, if there's a, an unwanted pregnancy or a passage of an STI or anything like that, it immediately becomes what men didn't do. But as this report, as this paper finds, um, written by Rihanna Wegner, Melissa A. Lewis, Kelly Q, Davis, Elizabeth C. Nielsen, and Jeanette Norris, um, this is something that women participate in to a great extent as well, right? So something to put out there and check out. Okay, interesting. Right. So this one comes up and this has to do with with what what kind of caused uh, tonight's show. What's up, Kendra? I see you in there. Um, Let's see. All right. So this is a, a Facebook message I was sent. right. My son's intersect- intersectional feminist teacher was caught sabotaging boy grades for a funding issue. The girls had to do better than boys, so high-performing boys were sabotaged. Um, right? uh, appreciate that, Ibo Sosa. Thank you for the support. Right. So what we're looking at here is what one of the pieces, there are about three pieces that spawned Uh, My desire to do tonight's show because y'all know a couple weeks ago I dealt with boys black boys in particular in regard to reading so we'll go through a little bit of that data in a little bit, but this particular piece I found interesting because it talked about the role teachers played right in in the impact on boys now this is not necessarily race specific. And what we're finding is that boys are doing, you know, worse than girls across race. So I still found it relevant, but it talked about the ways in which in order to meet funding needs that teachers can participate in sabotaging the performance of boys. And I I thought that warranted um, uh, some discussion, right? Some dialogue. And I wanted to go from there. Yes, please hit the like button, please share, please subscribe. Um, As I said, I don't know why I may be losing subscribers, but I do want to get more of you in as, as possible. Uh, Kalonja Kala, appreciate the support. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to show you a couple of the other follow-up pieces that kind of contributed to this, and then we'll dive in, okay? Even preschoolers face racial bias study finds. right? Both white and Black preschool teachers are biased against Black boys. I will read that again. Both white and Black preschool teachers are biased against Black boys, according to this piece on usnews.com. Racial bias against Black students began long before they they get to their teens. It starts in preschool, according to a study released today from Yale Child Study Center. The study was conducted as a two-part experiment. In the first part, educators watched Black and white children together, and in the second, they read vignettes on misbehaving students. In each situation, they were asked to identify and rate bad behavior. The researchers showed 135 teachers a video of four children playing, a black boy and a girl, and a white boy and a girl, and asked them to look for potentially problematic behavior. Here's the catch. There was no challenging behavior in any of the videos, right? Using eye-tracking technology, the researchers found that the teachers, both white and black, spent much more time watching the black children, particularly the black boy. It was exactly what Gilliam's team expected to find based on preschool disciplinary rates. Implicit biases do not begin with, the black, with black men and police. They begin with young Black boys and their preschool teachers, if not earlier. The, stu- the study suggests that both White and Black teachers spend more time focusing on their Black students, expecting misbehavior. All total, 42% of the teachers. Uh, believed that black boys needed the most attention, while 34% indicated the white boy, 13% indicated the white girl, and 10% chose the black girl. So when you see these reports that talk about black children, when it comes to any kind of statistic, it always leaves me flat. It always leaves me you know frustrated because you know again they're they're homogenizing blackness and they're not parsing through the data in terms of gender and When you do that in regard to race and gender, you actually find that it's not purely a racial issue because if it were theoretically speaking, black boys and girls would be performing at the same levels. What it actually is more often than not is that black boys have the worst numbers in some arena. So when you begin to hear activism about what black children need, it's presented as black children. And you all know, this is what I mean by flat blackness, right? When it comes to advocating for a political issue, you know, the, the, the poorer numbers of boys are considered valid. They're not parsed out. They're not often talked about, but it contributes to this, eye of this idea that black children as a whole need more help you know, and that's that kind of flat blackness. All of a sudden, everything is the same when it's convenient for, you know, articulating a need for resources or policy for black children. But you don't hear that broken up by gender. Because again, if black women are going to, you know, higher ed and higher numbers than any other demographic, that would suggest that the problem is really not with the girls. But why do we have a problem pointing out black males? Well, it could be that whenever we do The first assault we hear, particularly from feminists, is that we're leaving the girls out. Nobody even asks the question statistically, do they need what we're talking about? But we're punished for doing so. So you're not allowed to target boys. You can target girls. You can target girls, particularly for things that they're not suffering from as bad as the boys. But any targeting of the boys is immediately considered misogynist and sexist, even though the boys aren't going to college in any significant numbers. The boys are not. And it's not to say that college is the only route they can take. But if they're being barred or if they're experiencing the fallout of something nobody else is, that warrants attention. Uh, Shout out to Tubi. Appreciate the support. Um, uh, Miguelito, appreciate that. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Hosiah, appreciate the support. Um, Gavin, what's what's going on, man? Good to see you in here. He says, a woman in Queens threw her newborn out of the window with the umbilical cord still attached a few days ago. Man, I... mm. Damn. Yeah, this is what's going on now, people. This is what we're looking at, right? Um, All right. So going on a little bit more with this piece, federal education data revealed in June that black preschoolers are 3.6 times more likely to be suspended from school than their white counterparts, though black children make up only 19% of preschool students nationwide. They account for 47% of -of out-of-school suspensions. In comparison, white children represent 41% of preschoolers and 28% of of out-of-school suspension. So again, you know, they talked about black children in suspension, but based on what I just read to you in regard to um, implicit bias, who do you think is being suspended the most? Right. And really the deeper question is, why do we have a problem saying that? You know, my boy Green Gorilla talked about this on his show yesterday in regard to black men who won't speak up about the need for the, you know, the the warranted attention, whether it be on this issue or any other that's particular to Black males, and the degree to which we concede to the feminist argument out of fear, or to women's arguments that singling out boys is inherently a sexist gesture against girls. Uh, but the reverse is more than acceptable. We accept this, and we follow through on this logic, and we tiptoe and dance around not wanting to offend anyone that would find problem with centering Black boys. And we need to stop doing that. Straight up. It needs to stop. So listen to Gigi, uh, his show last night. He went into a tear, right? Rightfully so about the ways in which we accept this kind of behavior and much more. So check him out when you get a chance. All right. Implicit bias may explain high school preschool expulsion rates for black children. Um, uh, excuse me. High preschool expulsion rates for black children. So as you can see on the chart presented, um, In terms of tracking the eyes, which students, you know, are the teachers watching, this relates to what we just talked about in the last study, um, right? 10% black girls, 13% white girls, uh, 34% white boys, 42% black boys. This is the same child study uh, uh, report um, that they used in a different article, but this is one you can look up as well if you're interested in some more information about it. Um, but again, this is a chart you can you can find and use if you're if it if it so suits you, especially if you're a student and you're interested in doing a report. Uh, this would be definitely something I would suggest taking into account and using because it, it clearly points to how black boys are treated. All right. New UGA research helps explain why girls do better in school. All right. Um New research from the University of Georgia and Columbia University published in the current issue of, Journal of, Human Re- of uh, Journal of Human Resources suggests that it's because of their classroom behavior, which may lead teachers to assign girls higher grades than their male counterparts. Now, remember, he's talking about this across race. So how would that further impact black boys? Right. Um, the skill that matters the most in regards to how teachers grade graded their students is what we refer to as approaches toward learning, said Christopher Cornwell, head of economics in the UGA Terry College of Business and one of the study's authors. You can think of approaches to learning as a rough measure of what a child's attitude toward school is. It includes six items that rate the child's attentiveness, task persistence, eagerness to learn, learning independence, flexibility and organization. I think that anybody who's a parent of a boy or a girl can tell you that girls are more of all of that. What this study basically points to is something that many of us have experienced in one way shape or form, but may not have had the data or the argument, you know, the arguments, the terms, the concepts to bring their critiques to bear. What am I saying? Boys here Is as it's being documented, are not being graded on ability, on academic performance. They're being graded on behavior, right? And Black boys, most particularly, are often graded on behavior and routed into special education courses. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, right? Now, what I've often heard, you know, having a, a, my son is 15 now, but going through elementary school engaging teachers and principals about how they graded him and how they've treated him, sitting in classes, sometimes twice a week, uh, watching how many of the kids will do the same things that my son is blamed for, but they will not be penalized or punished in any significant way. But one of the things that I've heard often from principals and teachers when it came to white kids who were doing the same things that black kids were being hyper penalized for was That they were acting out that way because they were just so smart that the work was not challenging enough. So you have this interesting kind of dichotomy here where Black children are acting out because they're inherently bad. White children are acting out because they're not sufficiently challenged, right? And Black boys, it was almost considered a given, just needed to be routed into special ed. Like I said, my son, they suggested that within two weeks of kindergarten, right? This kid was reading 200 page Harry Potter books by the first grade, but first and second grade. Right. But getting stills, if they would have had their rathers and if I wasn't the kind of parent that could be on task, on call at any moment, you know, as a professor, I I had a lot of time where I'm writing at home. I'm only teaching two days a week so I can you call me five minutes later. I'm at the front of the school, which was not something they were used to. And I'd come sit in the class and I'd watch the way the teacher would engage the students. You know, now I'm not saying my son was not a, you know, a boy's He's energetic. He's whatever. You know, I talk about boys as being tactile learners. They learn by touching by doing and the methods we use, you know, like the very pedagogy we have is not one that's designed to suit boys. It really isn't in many ways. So the, the expectations are unfair from off the bat, but, what this study allows us to at least be able to articulate publicly, right, is that these boys are being unfairly judged. And when you link this to the, the, the Facebook post I showed you earlier of the person who was talking about how her, the teacher of, uh, of their child misgraded them for funding purposes, it leads to some very interesting questions about what's happening with our boys. You know, very interesting question, um, Absolutely, Lawrence. Black boys are given special ed. Counselor Murray, appreciate that support. Thank you. Kalanja uh, uh, Jakala says many of the black male students in alternative ed high school were high, high achievers in elementary school. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, let me see. Let's see. Uh, MLR says I'm curious of the term challenging behaviors by black boys. I will have to look that up because that sounds subjective to me. Exactly. Exactly. Black Uru Strikes says, how are black females being generalized here? Right. So these are the kind of conversations we need to be having. uh, But a lot of us aren't able to. So let's dive in. Right. Let's dive into this. So what I've been showing you has been dealing more so with, um, you know, males across race. But the question of tonight for tonight is, Uh, The planned failure of black boys. What is it that black boys are grappling with? How are they failing? And to what extent is it just a product of, what? I mean, what are the things I've heard, even from black academics? A lack of drive, a lack of interest, a desire to just play and not take anything seriously. And these are concepts that I'm seeing being directed at five-year-old boys, you know, at academic conferences to uh, triv, Appreciate the support on the cash app. Thank you. Um, let me see. All right. Well, let's look at a couple of different things. And these are some of these are going to be a little random, but uh, let me see what I can kind of help us go through here. <laughs> OK, so in terms of black boys, the question I'm asking is what exactly are black boys grappling with? right? And not really just in school, but we're going to start there. What is it that black boys are grappling with and how does it impact them? Well, um, one of the first things that I found uh, in uh, the edadvocate.org uh, was an article that covered some of the things boys were grappling with. I read a section to you uh, for you here. Schools with majority Black students tend to have lower amounts of teachers who are certified in their degree areas. The U.S. Department of Education report found that in schools with at least 50% Black students, only 48% were certified in the subject, compared with 65% in majority White schools. In English, the numbers were 59 and 68%, respectively, and in science, they were 57 and 73. So. First off, when we talk about what boys are grappling with, right, when we can talk about the differences between black and white schools and the degree to which the teachers themselves are often not certified to teach the subjects, and to any great degree, to teach the subjects that they're teaching. Is that going to have an adverse effect on student learning? All right, so let's start from the gate. Instead of starting with the child, let's start from the school. And if the schools are not providing teachers that are able to be proficient in the fields they're teaching, that's going to have an adverse effect on the kids. Further says, black boys are more likely than any other group to be placed in special ed, with 80% of all special ed students being black or Hispanic males. We're going to look at a chart on that in a little bit. So again, if we're talking about behavior and we're talking about teachers who are not really qualified to teach in the areas they're teaching, between the two, you can see the way in which tactile learners like boys are going to be routed out just on general principles. Right. Let's see. Drew, appreciate the support. Uh, Where am I? There we go. All right. So let's deal with science and math. Okay. Uh, Article I picked up on The New York Times uh, entitled Math Achievement Trajectories Among Black Male Students in the Elementary and Middle School Years uh, suggests that, for example, Whereas science and math achievement continues to be higher for white, Asian, and Latino men than for girls from these groups, uh, Black men perform at lower rates than Black women in these subject areas, right? Black men are severely underrepresented in in the most rigorous academic programs, including gifted programs, honors courses, and advanced placement courses, while being vastly overrepresented in remedial academic tracks. Additionally, Black men have the highest rates of special education classification, including classifications as mildly mentally retarded, emotionally disturbed, and or learning disabled, right? Furthermore, of all demographic groups, Black men have the highest rates of expulsions, suspensions, and detentions, right? So this is out of a New York Times article um, that kind of framed the issues with math achievement, right? And we're going to look more specifically at the numbers in a moment, Um, uh, but this is kind of what... We're grappling with. So again, special ed keeps creeping up its head here. And let's put it on blast and actually talk about what the rates are. So you take a look for yourself. All right? Representation of black males in US schools versus special ed. All right? So the blue number on the left is black males in public school, the green number on the right are black males in special ed, almost twice as much. According to the US Department of Ed, civil rights data collection, right? Almost twice the number of black males rep- overrepresented in special education. So again, if this is being determined based on behavior, more so than academic performance, what are we really talking about here? Right? We're talking about segregation. This is pro, this is post-Brown V board segregative tactics, right? To relegate black men to servile and, and underdeveloped positions. Using early education, right? As early as five years old, these boys are already off track. So, when you talk about college track courses, when you talk about high level achievement, when you talk about honors courses, many of these boys were routed off that track as early as six, seven, and eight years old. And, you know, by the time we talk about it for, say, high school, right? And again, the common assumption is that if they're in special ed, they're in special ed because they deserve to be or because they scored low. I, I, there's actually much more going on here than that. Uh, nice, Nasiana, I appreciate that support. Um, I apologize if I'm missing some of these in here. <laughs> I see a number of brothers in the comment sections talking about how they were placed in the special ed. Absolutely. Um, I see Corey in here. What's up, man? Uh, one of my former students, Adam Williams, uh, Adam says, yes, I was suspended, kicked out, of, kit, kicked out and expelled from the district in elementary school. Absolutely. Momo says, I'm a special education teacher in Chicago public schools. All right. That's what's up. Um, uh, Daniel says, I went to a predominantly white school. They tried to put me and other academically able black males in special ed. Moata says I was in special ed. Absolutely. See, I'm seeing this. It's, it's the same kinds of tropes over and over. Special ed is a legal separation, Mo says. Okay. Uh, Okay. I think I missed a few. Um, But all right. So this is what we're looking at. Right. Now, I talked about this in one of my last shows as far as reading is concerned in regard to black boys reading is the foundation of being able to do math science and of course later on STEM fields right and one of the things we talked about in terms of reading was that uh, it was only about 10 percent and although this study I, I found uh, uh, by Sharon Lewis uh, call for change social and educational factors contributing to the outcomes of black males in urban schools um, produced in October 2010 she suggests that the numbers is actually as high as 12 percent. Uh, of black fourth grade boys um, who are proficient in reading compared to 38% of white boys. Only 12% of black eighth grade boys are proficient in math compared to 44% of white boys. By fourth grade, black students may be three full years behind their peers, right? So one of the reasons I'm bringing this all up is because we have to be advocates for our kids. Now, if you want to talk about homeschooling, which is something everybody's talking about right now, it's more than understandable. If you want to talk about being an, an, an avid, in-your-face advocate for your child, regardless of the environment they're teaching in, then you need to do that. But we have to up the quality and the demand of what it is our kids are enduring in these schools. We have to advocate for them, and we have to, we have to push to make sure. That the that many of these institutions understand that the child is not sitting in there alone. Child is backed up by family who is who is serious about the quality of education and their the capacity of their child to learn and be received as a learner. Right, we have to become extremely uh, forthright about that, and that's one of the things I learned having a young child. I mean, it wasn't wasn't really something I was you know planning because I just thought well you know. I'll handle high school and up. My wife was going to handle elementary. When she passed, I had to kind of, you know, do that. And there was a lot that I wasn't really expecting to be very hands-on with, but it brought back my own childhood, right? And my own experiences in schools. And I began to remember all of the little things that I couldn't articulate as a five-year-old, as an eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old, things that you don't, as a child, imagine that your teacher is actually doing. You know what I mean? Especially if you're, you know, if you're set aside as a black male from the rest of the class or, you know, and you're not engaging in any behavior differently than others. These are the kind of things that we have to be able to talk to our children about and be very clear about, because often our children aren't going to always know how to articulate that. I went through things for years I never told my mother about because I didn't really have a language for it. I just it just happened and I didn't really know how to make sense of it. Sometimes I told her, sometimes I didn't you know often you know she would she would you know discipline me which was what it was but a lot of that had more to do with just not being able to clearly articulate everything that was happening and i didn't know how to and i couldn't imagine this 30 40 sometimes over 50 year old teacher would purposely you know be treating me differently you know as a child i couldn't really reconcile that um you know uh park avenue appreciate the support um says, I'm curious to know how many black boys in special education come from single parent households. Any correlation? Yes, there actually is. I found a report earlier today. I'm not sure if I included it in here in here, but we'll keep going. Uh, but what's another factor to consider? Right. So we know that in terms of reading, uh, there's a, a, there's only about 10 to 12 percent of black boys by the fourth grade that are proficient in reading. Uh, and by the time you get to the eighth grade, only 12 percent that are proficient in math. Right. Um, So we know we're grappling with that. There's another aspect to this, because again, I'm not limiting this to school because that's not the experience our kids are having. It's not just about school for them, right? This is from a paper I read from a few months ago. Uh, Dr. Tommy Curry and Ebony Utley did a piece called She Touched Me, and it's basically about what boys experience in regard to being, uh, you know, uh, victims of sexual assault, right? And so one of the things we can look at here is is, uh, they say, it's been long documented that black Americans report having their first sexual experiences at younger ages than their white American counterparts. Black males have the earliest sexual debut of any group in the United States. Black boys often report first intercourse between 12 and 14 years old uh, or years of age. The sexual debut of their peer girl group is much later. So their first intercourse is likely with older women, right? reason I bring this up is when we talk about what boys are experiencing, you know, this is something that we, you know, I remember even the Black Panthers talking about, other factors will definitely impact their academic experience. And even though today's show is not limited to academics, you know, in regard to our kids in school, it is a main, a huge factor because that's what many of our kids spend the majority of their daily time doing, right? That said, we do have to look at outside factors, you know, access to consistent food, you know, access to a safe environment, you know, in terms of the home life, access to not being abused, right? Um, These are all factors, and we're going to get into some of them in a moment. But sexual assault being one that we don't talk enough about in regard to boys. Now, much of the data prior to 10 to 15 years ago, particularly 10, if it comes, if it deals with sexual assault and children, Black children at all, they'll either use the language children or they'll talk specifically about girls. And even when they use the language children, you know, they're often still talking about girls and you can tell because you'll see highlights talking about, well, be careful with our children, look out for uncles or stepfathers. You know, the language is very clear on who who the aggressors are. Uh, And it's not to say that, you know, some of the aggressors don't have both pedophilic and homosexual uh, tendencies. So yes, it could just as easily be talking about male victims, but more often than not, the aggressors are framed as males and the whole discourse about black boy sexual victimization flies under the radar. Right. So here you might have and not, it's not even a might. It's not even a might. Here you have black males, very young ages, right, who are not only grappling with being discriminated against in school environments, uh, but are also grappling with um, sexual victimization by women and men who are significantly older. And although we're told to receive this as some kind of rite of passage, uh, as you'll, you'll you'll check out if you read uh, Korean At Least She Touched Me, the psychological impact is still the same. Many of the boys that go through these experiences have the same impact that the girls do. And nobody talks about that. The impact it has. trying to get a gallon in and I'm not doing very good. Anyway, I keep forgetting to drink. Nevertheless, this is what, this is another aspect to the black male child experience that nobody talks about. And it has a direct impact on whether or not they're able to uh, participate, compete, whatever else you want to frame it as, right? Let's look at abuse. Let's look at abuse. Right. This one's based on National Child Abuse and Neglect Data System um, of Alleged Child Abuse and Neglect. N-C-A-N-D-S collects case-level data on children who receive Child Protective Services response in the form of an investigative, uh, or uh, I didn't include the rest of that in there. Uh, damn it. i already closed the website page. But anyway, so you can see here, child abuse rate in the United States in 2018 by race and ethnicity of victim. Right. And so we can see African-American, obviously, uh, at the highest rates just under American Indian and Alaska Native. And this is based on um, Child Protective Services being called in. Lou, appreciate that support on the Cash App. So what that basically means is if Child Support, I mean, excuse me, Child Protective Services is not called in, doesn't make this chart. So it's not to say necessarily who is abused more, it's to say who's abused more in relation to Child Protective Services being called in. But nonetheless, uh, you have a rating of 14 uh, per 1,000 children in regard to, um, you know, victims of child abuse. But we can quickly follow that up with a study. This is slightly, it's about a 10-year-old piece in FirstStar.org based on a particular study. Out of um, JAMA pediatrics, black children have highest abuse rates. These data highlight that the burden of confirmed maltreatment is far greater than suggested by single-year national estimates of confirmed child maltreatment, and the risk for maltreatment is particularly high for black children who had cumulative risk of confirmed maltreatment in excess of 25% for many years and never less than 20%. Official 2011 data from child protective service agencies put the overall child abuse figure at 1% and a hundred children, but the new research places the figure at one in eight with most of it taking place in the early years, right? So what we're looking at here is we talk about abuse. Again, we're talking about the planned failure of black boys, right? And what does that mean? Well, obviously school is going to take up a great portion of that because usually, that's what uh, children are engaged in. majority of their time is spent in school, but what are the factors that lead to what we can identify as failure, be it academic or social? Well, we know that, as we've talked about, they're experiencing implicit bias in school. We know that there's evidence that you have teachers that are incentivized to misgrade them, to underdevelop them for the sake of maintaining funding, particularly funding that that prioritizes girls. We know that uh, many of them are routed into special ed courses due to behavior and not necessarily due to academic performance. We know that boys are suffering in regard to reading, math, and science, and find themselves often three years behind uh, their counterparts in white and Asian communities, right? And we also know that boys, to an unprecedented degree, uh, and this is, again, going back to She Touched Me, if you get a chance to read through that, are experiencing sexual sexual victimization, and there's really not a language for it, right? Right? But now we're also able to see that black children, I haven't told y'all when they, when they mix the categories, they mix the genders, there's something going on, but black children experience abuse at home to the highest rates, right? Again, if we frame this from the context of black boys, what are we really talking about? What are the factors that contribute to the failure we're looking at? AB Media, appreciate you becoming a member, man. Good to see you in here. Um, all right. Okay. So let's see here. Not as savvy on keeping up with the chats, but uh, with the comments, but I'm trying to keep somewhat of a finger on what's going on. Um, yeah. Trauma therapy may uh, be needed to be to be focused on for black men and boys. Yes, Chris, I, I definitely agree. Uh, and this is one of the reasons that I brought up both sexual victimization and abuse, right? Trauma and the impact of trauma on performance, right? Because it's a factor we don't consider. It's a huge factor we don't consider. We talk about education. Um, I see education functioning in terms of this kind of new age, neo-segregation kind of set of practices that are being employed in the schools, right? So even if you do have white and Black kids going to school to get together, they're in the same building, but they're having two radically different educational experiences. But trauma playing a significant role in black boy performance to a degree that we don't often know how to talk about. right? So trauma being a key factor in that dynamic. Now, um, uh, Reginald Morton, appreciate you becoming a member. Thank you. And remember, for those of you who are becoming new members after the show, there will be an after show or an office hours uh, just for members. So you can go into the community tab on my page. And click on my name when you go to my channel look for the community tab and you'll find in there the link for the um, office hours after show that uh, that's mainly for members so uh, if you're becoming a member tonight or if you're already a member of the channel uh, hit the, if you want to be a member click the join button right next to the subscribe button just below the video uh, but you can attend the office hours right after the show okay so let's look at ADHD for a moment all right let's look at ADHD for a moment Factors increasing children's risk of an ADHD diagnosis included being a boy. Let's just stop there for a quick second. We talk about being diagnosed with ADHD. One of the primary factors in whether or not you have it or will be, I should say, whether or not you'll be diagnosed with it is whether or not you're a boy. Being raised by an older mother. Being raised in an English-speaking household and engaging in externalizing problem behaviors. This is coming out of Pediatrics uh, 2013 journal. All right. It says factors decreasing children's risk of an ADHD diagnosis included engaging in learning-related behaviors, uh, e.g., being attentive, displaying greater academic achievement, and not having health insurance among children diagnosed with ADHD racial slash ethnic minorities were less likely than whites to be taken taking prescription medication for the disorder. The second part comes from uh, race, Racial and Ethnic Disparities in ADHD Diagnoses from Kindergarten to Eighth Grade, written by Paul Morgan, Jeremy Staff, Miriam Hillmeyer, uh, George Farkas, and Stephen Makuzga, uh, or what is that? It's Maczuga. excuse me. Uh, Children who are African-American are diagnosed with ADHD at only two-thirds the rate of white children despite displaying greater ADHD symptomology, and Hispanic children have also been reported to be underdiagnosed. Less is known about diagnosis disparities for children of other races and ethnicities. In addition, racial ethnic minorities who are diagnosed with ADHD have been reported to be less likely to use prescription medication. So what is it we're saying here? Well, we're saying in regard to ADHD, what some of the data is pointing us to is that um, by and large, being being a boy with an older mother in an English-speaking household uh, and exhibiting externalizing problem behaviors is more apt to get you diagnosed. And yet and still, despite despite that, racial and ethnic minorities were less likely to be diagnosed, let alone be medicated for it. uh, And children who are African-American are only um, diagnosed at two-thirds the rate of white children. Interesting. Um, and this is followed up with another slight report. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. So I'll let you ponder this yourself. This is a study out of Science Daily that said African-American mothers rate boys higher for ADHD. ADHD excuse me. Maternal race um, may impact racial dif- differences in ADHD diagnoses more than child race, researchers support. Sources, Lehigh University. Summary, African-American children often are reported by parents and teachers to display behaviors of ADHD at a higher rate than children from other racial and ethnic groups. Uh, For the first time, researchers have found that African-American mothers in a study rated boys as displaying more frequent ADHD symptoms than Caucasian mothers did. Interesting. So uh, the study, the way the study was done, they had, um, you know, white and black women sit and uh, perceive, you know, and watch child behavior in a controlled setting. And what they found was that African-American mothers were more apt to acknowledge what they considered ADHD symptoms more often than Caucasian mothers did. You can take this a couple different ways, You can pathologize uh, African-American mothers and their relationships to boys. And there is something to be said about that. I I presented other studies in the past that have shown that there is a strange bias that often can happen with Black mothers and sons. But at the same time, you could look at this and you can point out the ways in which uh, Caucasian mothers may be participating in a sort of obliviousness that allows their children to go undiagnosed. There's a variety of different ways you can take this. So most says ADHD boys have testosterone they can't sit still see that's what I mean by tactile learners um, ADHD is not proven it's a it is not proven it's a professional opinion by a school psychologist okay All right but just a study to pay attention to right so when we talk about ADHD we also have to look at the ways in which the therapeutic industry plays a role in diagnosing black children right? So we, we're looking at the way educa- the educational industry impacts our boys. We're looking at the way uh, trauma may play into what they experience. We're also looking at, in terms of what I just pointed out with ADHD, we're looking at the way the therapeutic industry plays can play a role in what's happening with our children. Um, Wayward Maroon, appreciate you becoming a member. But let's look a little further. Let's see what else we get here. So this chart here as you can see, um, is the percentage distribution of teachers in public elementary and secondary schools by race and ethnicity. I'm going back to education for a moment, and we're looking at how exactly, hold on, I'm going to put this up all the way here, right? How exactly our distribution of teachers plays out racially? Most of you know this, right? Uh, From school years 1999 to 2000 and 2017 to 2018, what do we see, right, in regard to the racial breakdown of teachers for public elementary and secondary schools, right? You find that the rate of, um, let me see, Native American, you're talking about one in one. Right. Meaning it hasn't significantly changed and the numbers are as low as they can be as far as, uh, you know, teachers represented for Native American. Pacific Islanders have either lower numbers than that or weren't studied, weren't part of made part of the study. Asians show a slight growth from from nothing. And then again, that could be simply that they just didn't uh, didn't look, didn't have that data available at the time. But they're up to two now Uh, for Hispanics. We see them going from six to nine. Um, In terms of the percentage of distribution of teachers, African-Americans went down from eight to seven. Right. From what I can tell, the only well, not the only group to go down, but definitely uh, the only group at that level to go down. Otis Jones, appreciate the support. And then, of course, you have white teachers, 84 to 79 percent. Right. Still relatively still extremely high. So these are the majority of the people teaching our kids. All right. Let's take a look at how that distributes, how the distribution breaks down by instructional level and sex. All right. In regard to the teachers, what are we looking at here? Well, across the board, we're looking at males going down from twenty five to twenty four um, from 1999, 2000 year to 2017 and 18. So slightly uh, dro- a slight drop in the number of male teachers. 25 to 24, we have a slight increase in female teachers from 75 to 76. The elementary level, you can see it gets up to 89%, right? Damn near 90% of the teachers are female. You get to the secondary level, about 64%. Right? So, when we look at it in terms of race, in terms of gender, it is what we already know, right? The majority of the teachers are, are white. And the majority of the teachers are female. Is that going to have a direct impact on how their categorical opposite black male students are going to be perceived? Especially since we know from the age of five and onward, boys are perceived to be older and more dangerous than they actually are, particularly by white women. How is that going to impact black boys? And and might that play a role in how black boys and black girls are so vastly different in terms of their outcomes? Might it play a role? Might it play a role in the socialization of how boys are perceived, meaning that from kindergarten onward, if boys are treated as if they're different, does that affirm for them that they are? And do they then begin to act in accordance with those stereotypes, or is it simply that it's just in boys' DNA? Those are the kind of questions that uh, people want to assume, but not openly talk about. right? Now, we talked about special ed being a factor, but now. Let's actually look at punishment overall. Right. So if this question of how white women uh, most particularly what uh, You know, for the most part, teachers in general are perceiving their students, how the educational environment is perceiving black boys. Let's look at how the punishment plays out. So, so this is uh, coming off of uh, theedadvocate.org. Even first time offenders in schools and harsher than other uh, demographic, even first time offenders in schools is harsher than any other demographic. Consider these facts black students make up 18% of the children in US preschools. Um, but make up half of those youngsters who are suspended. Black boys receive two-thirds of all school suspensions nationwide, all demographics and both genders considered. In Chicago, 70% of all students arrested in public schools are Black, 75%, excuse me. So school suspensions and certainly arrest is just the beginning of a life considered on the wrong side of the law for many Black boys. By 18 years of age, 30% of Black males have been arrested at least once, Compared to just 22% of white males, those numbers rise to 49% for black men by the age of 23 and 38% for white males. Researchers from several universities concluded earlier this year that arrests early in life often set the course for more crimes and incarceration throughout the rest of the offender's lifetime. So as I was saying earlier, if treatment, if biased treatment from high school through middle school may contribute to the behavior of boys who are already um, called out, What are the impacts of that later in life? Well, this study suggest that it may lead to greater incarceration? Let's go further. Let's look specifically, right, at out-of-school suspensions, right? So what we see here, and and the next chart uh, should give us more information as to the source. I do have this up in a blog piece on newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com. Um, I'll see if I can remember to put the link for the article and I put this in uh, in the description box. If I forget to in the comments after the video is done, please remind me and I'll go ahead and put the link in. (coughs) Excuse me, put the link in. But as we can see here, African-American boys and girls have higher suspension rates than any other peers. Uh, One in five African-American boys and more than one in 10 African-American girls uh, received an out of school suspension. Right. So we can see clearly that there is a breakdown here. On gender terms. Now, as long as this, if this chart were reconfigured and there are other, there are other charts from this series that just homogenizes black, you can see how much more informative it is to further break this up by by gender and not just race. Right. So there's nobody near black males. And you're going to either make the argument that this is just in their DNA, or we can make the argument that if they are biased, if they are treated with bias from kindergarten on, from preschool onward, does that bias contribute to later behavior? Interesting question to ask, right? Lou, appreciate the cash app support. Thank you. So up to 20% out of school suspensions for black boys. And the interesting thing is I've lately been seeing a lot of, um, you know, kind of reports coming forward about how we need to center our girls because they're being suspended. I have no problem with that. Nobody's trying to suggest that we shouldn't pay attention to it. However, it can be a bit disingenuous based on how it's reported if it's clearly sidestepping the boys. If the boys, black boys in particular, are twice the number being expelled, being suspended from school, right? That's problematic to completely ignore that especially if you're advocating for a demographic demographic that's already going into higher ed higher than any at rates higher than any other group they're being enrolled in higher ed at higher rates than any other group across race if that's the case it's a bit disingenuous to ignore the suspensions and, and expulsions of black boys especially when it's at twice the rate depending on uh what we're looking at uh than the girls right there's a disingenuous aspect to this well, let's look at the next one. So, what is this one talking about? Discipline. Transform CRDC makes public long, public long hidden data about which students are suspended, expelled, and arrested in school. And of course, this one homogenizes it in terms of race, like I was saying a moment ago. So, it just deals with black. You know, but you can see uh, in terms of um, overall enrollment, blacks are about black kids are about eighteen percent, right? In school suspensions. They make up about 35 percent, just below the 39 percent of whites. So whites are actually being suspended in school in higher percentages than black kids. Out of school suspensions, it's almost even. Uh, And this is, uh, you know, single, uh, probably single incidents, 36 to 35 percent out of school suspensions on multiple incidents. uh, We're looking at 46 versus 29 percent. And then expulsions, we see uh, Black kids being being expelled to higher degrees than anybody. So African-American students represent 18% of students in the CRDC sample, but 35% of students suspended once, 46% of those suspended more than once, and 39% uh, of those expelled um, outright. So you can see how that impacts us, right? Let me see. Ms. Hamilton says... Uh, My son's ADHD meds cost twenty dollars a month. Big Pharma isn't making much money. More to be made from selling our meds to white kids who want to study all night. Okay, interesting. Okay, there's all kind of stuff going on in the chat. All right, looks like we have spawned quite a few discussions. So, looking at black boys and looking at what they're grappling with, one of the things we can say is that it is a tremendous battlefield, <clears throat> and minefield, really, for Black boys. How do we think the public perceives this, right? How do we think Black boys are perceived, by boys really, but Black boys in particular, uh, how they're perceived by the public in regard to whether or not they have a need to be helped? Well, had a chance to look at this from Brookings, Future of Middle Class Initiative. Uh, author's calculation using AFS data as the source. And one of the things we find in this is two two charts that I think are interesting. This one is, I am worried about my daughter slash son becoming a successful adult. And so they're looking at it in terms of, you know, political orientation, conservative, liberal, and then by gender, women and men, to diagnose or not diagnose, excuse me, to kind of chart the concern about Uh, Just daughters and sons becoming, you know, successful contributors to society. And one of the things you see is that overall more people are worried about boys. Conservatives are worried more about boys. Liberals worry more about boys. You know, we can see uh, women and men worried a little more about boys. A lot of this has to do with what we've been talking about today. But this next one is pretty interesting as well. I'm worried about boys. I'm worried about girls slash boys in the United States in general becoming successful adults. And this is where it gets interesting. Everybody is worried about boys, conservatives to a great degree. Right. Um, um, Women, slightly so men. But liberals, interestingly enough, are worried about girls. And so one of the things that I find interesting about this is that despite all that we've talked about, despite the readiness, the availability of all of this data on how boys are faring across race, and of course, Black boys at the very bottom of that, it's an interesting dynamic on who is actually being concerned about that, who's who's concerned about it, who's willing to enact policy, I would argue, in regard to that. And it would seem like everybody understands that boys are in a precarious position except for one group. And that's, that's real interesting altogether. Now, one of the things that um, I hear people constantly bring up, and I have no problem with it, uh, is this question of solutions, right? What can be done? I spend a great deal talking about victimization, not because um, I enjoy it, but because it's true. And the reason I pointed out with Black boys is because how readily much of this has been swept under the rug. And, and it amazes me how much, um, how oblivious much of society can be in particular to black boys. Thankfully, the study, the, you know, the kind of charts we're looking at are showing that there's more concern uh, in terms of at least what they're categorizing as worry for black boy, for boys, excuse me. But whether or not that will translate into anything substantive is still a question to be asked. Nevertheless, as far as getting to solutions, one of the things that I think has to be put into proper context is the discussions we're having are solution based in that by identifying the problem and informing us, keeping each other up to task about what exactly the situations are and how bad they are, is an attempt to b- build a solution. First, because we have to understand what the problem is. If you're going to fix a car, but you don't understand what's wrong with the car and you keep fixing everything but the problem. You're not going to fix the car. At some point, there has to be an acknowledgement of what the actual problem is. And because we don't have access to these major platforms, you don't see that I'm not on CNN. I'm just on my YouTube page pointing out, you know, what's going on with black boys. It's important that we have people to bring the information forward and identify the problem. So that is a solution in and of itself. But the next one is something we've been talking about for the last couple of months here on the Onyx Report. Uh, Darius, appreciate that support. Uh, And that is the black male political agenda. And the interesting thing about the Black male political agenda is that it is timely because we are in a situation where Black males are uh, being looked at, right? We're being paid attention to. We're being examined because there's so much going on right now. So many Black men dying left and right, being incarcerated, failing out of schools, you name it. And yet, not a lot of significant policy to change any of that. A lot of political infighting back and forth about what's going on with different demographics, who needs what, but really symbolic lip service being paid to black boys. So black male political agenda. um, We have a couple of new additions this week um, that I'm about to share with you. So uh, let's go ahead and do that. All right. And then I'll show you where the current list is. So this one was was first uh, submitted by one David W, right? And David says uh, that one of the things he wants to see happen is an end to law enforcement collaboration. What he means by that is he said this would entail prohibiting state and local officers from using federal databases to search for prior cr- criminal records when in the process of questioning or apprehending a black male. Uh, could use the f African American for official purposes. Uh, officers, more often than not, decide their level of aggression based on one's alleged prior history. There's legislative precedent for such a law already as California has adopted it under designation SB 54 to protect illegal immigrants. So interesting kind of uh, suggestion here, right? about whether it really is a form of an attempted gesture at protecting um, potential, uh, you know, um, black men who are being pulled over, who are being questioned, so on and so forth. And and mind you, this doesn't necessarily have to mean that they're guilty of doing anything. It simply has to do with the fact that if you're pulled over, um, you know, there could be all kinds of reasons that uh, monitoring how much access to information about you could play into how you're treated at a given in a given situation uh, can end up being a lethal issue depending on the circumstances. Um, so something to consider there. Um, so shout out to David W for the suggestion. And again, you can send me your suggestions. I, I suggest using, you can go to my website, dot com. send me an email through there. You can do it through Facebook if you're a friend on my page. Uh, there are a number of ways you could submit that. And I may not catch it if you put it in the comment section because there's just so much going on. But if you send it to me directly, um, you know, I can definitely con- inc- include that. T. Gill, appreciate you becoming a member. All right. So that's one suggestion. And, and we're going to get to a few more because some of the suggestions that are already on the black male political agenda actually deal with protecting black boys, particularly in education. So. It, it, it's, it's not disconnected. The reason I'm talking about the, poli- the political agenda is because it's actually tied to solutions for what we're seeing going on with our boys. This next one up comes from Henry W., IRS and Child Support. He says, we know around income tax time, um, let's see, many women uh, sell their children's Social Security numbers to friends, family members, etc. either when the mother's not working or, ha- or has maxed out her two-child benefit to receive income credits. So he suggests, number one, whenever a third party submits tax returns claiming care of another person's child, any child support orders to the mother of stated child should be rendered void or denial of the third party's claims on the child as a dependent. This should fall under saving tax dollars. The natural question should be, why is the mother being paid for a child under the care of a third party? Green Gorilla, man. Good to see you become a member. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um. Now, I'm going to welcome my good friend, BGS, to the stream. Can you hear me, man?
1: Oh, yeah, sure, Doc. How you doing?
0: doing well, man, good to hear your voice as usual. Um, and I'm bringing him on because he made some suggestions we're going to get to in a moment to add to the blackmail political agenda. And I thought, what better than to have him explain them himself? But for right now, uh, going back to Henry's suggestions here, part two is in a roundabout way, we all know how welfare benefits and incentives to women fuels the single mother phenomenon. So a simple overall agenda to eliminate welfare contingencies or incentivize contingencies for fathers. Basically, no more payments or incentives contingent on separation from fathers. However, that may present itself uh, from the government. What do you think about that, BGS?
1: I think it's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, because if you're you're paying or you're paying for child support i think if if anything if somebody's gonna um get benefit from um from having a, a tax break from the child it should be the, the father
0: that's paying mm-hmm. and yet we find especially when the stimulus issue can comes up black fathers uh, especially if they're in arrears are actually penalized mm-hmm. in terms of this rather than in any kind of position to benefit um so it'd be interesting to see a shift in that so shout out to henry w um those will be added to the webpage for the Black Male Political Agenda.
1: I'm sure the females will be blacklisted as we speak.
0: <laughs> and that's why if you have any suggestions for the list, I will abbreviate your last name. <laughs> I don't want anybody losing their jobs or, you know, behind anything. Um, but that's actually that kind of pressure is one of the reasons that, that we really haven't had a coherent Black Male Political Agenda. Because in many ways, uh, many of us are in vulnerable positions, either at home or at work, and don't want to articulate what they need.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So the next one up, now, when I put this up, it's not as long as you think. You don't have to read all of this, and it's not going to actually be up on the website. It's just the first sentence. I'm going to read the rest for context, right? But it has to do with voter disenfranchisement right? And it basically is about allowing ex-convict Black men to have their voting rights restored upon release from incarceration. I've said this plenty of times, the data shows this, and some of the major last few elections, Black men, particularly uh, on the Democrat side of things, vote to the second highest degrees, just under Black women, for Democratic mm-hmm. candidates. Yes, And yet they're never singled out or acknowledged for doing so. If anything, one of the things I heard in the last election was that it was Black men's fault that yes. Trump got elected even though black men voted to the second highest degree uh, for the Democrats than anyone else.
1: Even more than white women.
0: Even more than white women, which, by the way, I think are going to be the group to watch in the next upcoming election. I told you that before. Um, I'm curious to see how they handle this whole question of a black VP. Uh, 424 people watching, please like, share and subscribe. Thank you very much. But So the whole issue of voter disenfranchisement, I put a little history to the back of it, and this comes from Jeffrey Robinson in a piece on ACLU.org entitled Racist Roots of Denying Incarcerated People Their Right to Vote. And Robinson says, the historical context for this comes from old English common law, which justified the concept of civil death as Mm -hmm. punishment for conviction of treason or a felony because a person committed a crime, had corrupt blood, watch that one, Right. right. Making the person dead in the law. America mm-hmm. did not immediately adopt this position because the Constitution was silent on voting rights. It neither granted nor denied anyone the right to vote, you know, formally speaking. 1787, the Constitution considered black people as three fifths of a human being. Black men, that is. Uh, black voting was not an issue. Then came the Civil War and the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments. Enslaving people, except as punishment for a crime, was illegal. Mm-hmm. Birthright mm-hmm. U.S. citizenship was established. Explicitly including freed enslaved people, Black men got the right to vote. Over 2,000 Black men were elected to government offices, and they began purchasing or homesteading property and voting. America responded. The exception in the 13th Amendment allowing slavery as punishment for a crime was paired with Black codes, which basically criminalized Black life. Blacks convicted under Black code laws were leased out to do work, providing cheap labor to boost the South's faltering economy. In 1850, 2% of prisoners in Alabama, Alabama were non-white. By 1870, it was 74 percent. At least 90 percent of the least prison laborers were black. Now, just to be clear here, this wasn't arbitrary. Right. Slavery ended. The South went out their way to use updated means to re-enslave people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, incarceration was the method to do that. If you haven't checked that out, check a documentary called 13th. I believe it's still available on Netflix. Excellent documentary that kind of frames a lot of this. Uh, Check that out. In the fifteen years between eighteen sixty five and eighteen eighty, at least thirteen states, more than a third of the country's thirty eight states enacted broad felony disenfranchisement laws. The theory was simple: convict them on crimes, strip them away the right, strip away the right to vote, mm. imprison them, and lease them out as convict labor and blacks would be returned to a condition as close to slavery as possible. What is the result of this history? Black Americans of voting age are more than four times as likely to lose their voting rights than the rest of the adult population. One of every 13 Black adults is disenfranchised. Um, in some states like Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and until recently Florida, one in five Blacks have been dis- disenfranchised. In total, 2.2 million Black citizens are banned from voting. 38% of the disenfranchised population in America is Black. And you better believe, based on the incarceration rates, the overwhelming majority of those mm-hmm. disenfranchised in regard to voting are Black men. Right. mm
1: mm-hmm.
0: So one of the things we're pushing for here in the black male political agenda is to have that uh, have those voting rights restored across the board. Right. Um, if they if they paid their debt, done their time, there's no reason whatsoever that they shouldn't be able to vote.
1: They should be restored to full citizenship, full citizenship. Yes, sir.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, this next one, which I'm sure will be more pleasing to the eye because it's a lot shorter, uh, is a combination of two people. This started out with a slight debate in my comment section in my last video with a gentleman who did not really uh, think that the Black male political agenda, he didn't like it, he didn't like how it was put together, Um, and I told him it is a work in progress. It is Black men across class, across occupation, and across context having a conversation, to my knowledge, for the first time about what specifically they would need in order to participate in society on a different set of grounds. Um, even though he didn't like what I was saying, I challenged him to submit an idea to contribute to the agenda rather than tearing it down. And this is how you can actually learn from people who are trying to tear you down, or at least, uh, engage them in a way that ends up kind of helping the discussion. He made a suggestion that I thought had merit. This is to Brian M. He said, black men should actually be able to have double minority status. Mm -hmm. Now I shared that with BGS and BGS took it a step further. So the reason I invited him today is to not only explain that double minority status, but to also explain his suggestions to embellish on Brian's idea and build it up into another direction.
1: Um Yeah, because uh, basically double minority status actually imposed, uh, actually given to black women because um, almost illegally they, they uh, President Johnson actually made women. Uh, a minority status white women especially a minority status so that's how come black women got a double a minority status or boost up um when um actually affirmative action was actually for for men for black mm-hmm. men especially okay because mm-hmm. uh after the after the uh, uh after the monahan report it designated uh not designated but actually identified black men as being um as being what kind of say the uh designated uh, minority or the uh, designated underclass of this country have been the most abused in this country. And they, uh, even amongst their own group, they were still uh, lower caste, even below their women. So they, uh, they needed to be, uh, uh, how can kind of I uh rectified and actually lifted up be- so they can actually fit into the, uh, into the broader society because they're supposed to actually come back out and take control of their uh, families. In other mm-hmm. words, they're supposed to restore some symbols of a patriarchy in their family to actually match in with the rest of the, the rest of the community. And what they found out is that uh, because of mistreatment over the last 150 years, that uh, black men had to be restored. So uh, giving them jobs, giving them education, uh, giving them special education for themselves was supposed to be uh, given to them. And basically, after the uh, Martin, Luther, Martin Luther King riots in 1968, the Kerner Commission. Actually, gave these affirmative action rights supposedly to black men, <laughs> and President John, what President Johnson did was sign an executive order to actually give those things that were supposed to go to black men to women. So, uh, if you give black men a, a double minority status, or what you're doing is actually uh, holding to the that to the letter of the law, but to the spirit of the law, because this was supposed to be a restoration pr- uh, project for black men. Mm-hmm. So you're actually uh, doing what affirmative action was supposed to be for in the first place, right? Right, because so black because black men actually fought for it in civil rights were signed into law, f- especially for them, and they're 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 the ones who get the least of the uh, of, of the fruits of that labor.
0: Mm-hmm. So the majority went to white women, mm-hmm. right? But black mm-hmm. women black women enjoy double minority status. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was what, what time period would you give that?
1: basically i, I would uh, between if you look at more than title 9 it's between uh i would say night uh, it was actually signed into law late 1968 and actually it was the 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 uh, affirmative action policies actually came out uh between 1970 and say 1980 when mm-hmm. uh just before title 9 was signed into law
0: mm-hmm. so basically my generation grew up Mm-hmm. With this kind of dynamic. Right. A lot of people dra- dramatically underestimate the way uh, everything from dating and mating to uh, academic uh, achievements mm-hmm. was shaped by this double minority status. Dynamic. Right. Right. Black, Black men were, were in many ways perceived to be failures uh, when we could not keep up with the achievements of even our own women. But much of the time, these achievements were buoyed by this kind of uh, practice that was federally sanctioned.
1: Yeah, In fact, uh, I was talking to a gentleman on a, a live stream a couple of days ago, and he was talking about a HUD program uh, that gives block grants to uh, to certain cities to actually build uh, housing for people. So people can actually build their own housing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what he was saying is that under this block grant, under this program HUD program, black one actually treated as a triple minority.
0: Hmm. Explain that one.
1: I, we were trying to look for it, but the thing is, I don't know what the third one was. But the thing is, uh, I think there were actually underprivileged black women and women, and I think that was uh, supposed to be the triple minority status, so they got preference over everybody. And he was saying we, we were going back and forth, and he was saying that we should uh, uh, get in league with our black women so we can get this grant money. So, in other words, the money had the money still flows through black women, right? Right. And, and those do the control of Black women.
0: So what I'm doing, what I've tried to do with today's show, or at Mm -hmm. least one attempt at it, is to look at the ways in which Black males from as young as five through eldership, really, Mm -hmm. are impacted um, institutionally. Mm -hmm. And the way those institutional impacts shape our participation, our engagement, and in many instances, our ability to participate and compete Mm -hmm. Uh, In in, in relation to others. And so if you don't have an understanding of that, the way you perceive black men is going to be problematic. There's just no way around it. If you don't understand the institutional barriers. Now, if you are a black male that was able to circumvent those barriers, shout out to you. However, don't lose sight of the fact that those barriers still existed. And Mm -hmm. even though you may have succeeded, they have dramatically impacted the rest of the group on one level or another. Mm -hmm. And so by that, I want us to be aware that, as I stated earlier in the show, this didn't start in adulthood. It started very young, preschool even. And these kind of practices have just gone on to impact uh, us in a tremendous way. And, and, you know, the majority of people that I find that are not privy to that are often... um, very much taken aback. Oh, let me get this off the screen. Hold on. Very much taken aback by um, how much it goes, it impacts us, and yet, you know, many of us don't know that. And I see black men themselves who who really don't pay attention to this. And we talk about how we're just going to alpha our way through, mm-hmm. you, know, so, you know, the solutions for this. And I'm saying that's not going to work. Um, yeah. it, it, we've tried everything under the sun. We've had plenty of alpha men, uh, you know, from the continent up to now. That alone is not going to do it. Um, now the, the, the black male political agenda is just a humble attempt to try and get us to, you know, at least begin to think in certain respects about mm-hmm. how we can go about doing this a,
1: a framework for restoration, which is, uh, if you think about it, the, the affirmative action, uh, the executive order repealing some of this affirmative action, especially two white women that were signed by Donald Trump were well, like a month ago, man, that's mm-hmm. kind of shockwaves amongst
0: feminists. Absolutely did. Absolutely did. Now, we've gone through this before. I'm not going to go through the whole thing today, because now you have a, a static uh, a site you can go to. If you go to newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com, what you'll see is, um, you yeah, know, let me just go back to it. You know, first thing it's going to do is land you on the main page. The first piece is about uh, it's a penned article. It's not even an article. It's just a short video on becoming a member. The, the very next piece is the political agenda. Click on that. It'll take you straight to it. And from there, you can read through the various points. The last revision was made just a couple of days ago. So it's been updated. You can go through it. Um, it's broken up first by family court reform. Mm-hmm. And there is a through uh, what is that J.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, some of these were some of the newest additions to the list that I covered in the last show, uh, in regard to a child support and alimony assistance program, uh, an income floor for child support. That one mm-hmm. I think was contributed by, uh, our, our special guest today, uh, brother BGS, yes. um, prohibited jailing for failure to pay child support. So you can mm-hmm. see the kind of ch- uh, family court reform policies that black men are interested in. Second one up is education. Yeah. Right. And you'll see the very first point yet again, suggested by BGS mm-hmm. is single sex pedagogy and in institutions.
1: Which is actually, actually, it was, uh, uh, if you read, uh, I think there's a book called the boy problem, uh, by Julia Grant. She back in 1912, there was a series of articles in Atlantic actually mm-hmm. s- saying that boys needed a more uh, male dominated space because, uh, uh, especially the Prussian school system, because one, it was f- it feminizing them. Number one, and number two, is, is it was a space that they couldn't actually learn in, right? Because mm-hmm. it was because if you have f- a female teacher in a female space and sh- with female thinking, her 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 uh, uh, teaching methods are not going to be geared toward boys. Okay, mm-hmm. that was white boys back in 1912. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you take black boys who have all this, um, all this. Uh, oppression against them, all these things against them
0: mm-hmm. uh, if
1: you really want to give them advantage at least at the very least give them single sex education because it's already been proven that single sex education especially for, for boys actually works a heck of a lot better than anything else and and now I said uh, 60% of what's wrong with black boys or black men could be actually addressed and and Monahan said it, the same thing by putting black males in male dominated spaces mm-hmm. that was part of the Monahan Report
0: Shout out to Kevin Bernard for com- becoming a Patreon, uh, Shango the Neb for uh, uh, the Cash App. Appreciate that. Um, but my point, however, in bringing up the, the very first subset under education, single sex pedagogy, is again, I told you it was going to be about solutions. So I listed mm-hmm. out a lot of the problems that black boys face in and out of school. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, the very first point under education is about Mm -hmm. remedying this on one level or another Mm -hmm. and not only putting them in single sex institutions, but actually having black male teachers Mm -hmm. and the impact of that. So absolutely. So you can see, uh, you know, reading and STEM educational support. Uh, The next point has to do with targeted homelessness, uh, Mm -hmm. targeted unemployment programs. And then, of course, uh, we have under that law enforcement Uh, and you can read through this. We have points a through. uh, Oh, yeah. A through G mm-hmm. on law enforcement. Right. Ending with minimal age of uh, minimum age of criminal responsibility right. and um, false accusations. Right. right. Uh, so these are the kind of things that black men are talking about. And, and black men for, of all stripes are contributing to this list. Uh, I am, it, it, we got conservatives. We got liberals. It, it, it's, it's all kind of people, black men from different points of view. Uh, And we're focusing on what we have in common in terms of our experiences. Go ahead. What were you going to say?
1: I was going to say, I think you had uh, I think you said you had a a subscriber um, that actually said that uh, uh, black men should get paid at least a million dollars a year for every year that they were falsely in prison.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, um, And and matter of fact, that should be. I I wouldn't have removed it from here, so it might have been a typo on my part if I didn't include it. That would have been something I definitely would
1: have <laughs> that was a whole a heck of a lot of people. Yeah, but and the, I like but that. The, but the, the, it has been estimated they spent 182 billion locking people up. Yeah. And half of that money is for locking uh, controlling black men.
0: hmm I'll definitely need to re-add that. Uh, I don't know how I did not include it. Um, anyway, all right. So then from there you got intimate partner violence and homicide policy reform. You guys saw the post the, the some of the pieces I dealt with during the current events definitely show that there is a bias in how, you know, men and women are treated in regard to, you know, um, uh, intimate partner violence. Uh, and the perception, often often based on the Duluth model, uh, check out Tommy Curry's The Man Knot if you're not familiar with the Duluth model. Um, the bias that's been produced from the Duluth, the Duluth model's influence has definitely shaped sentencing practices in regard to intimate partner violence, uh carceral practices so on and so forth uh number seven we got health and this is actually at this point just specifically targeting cancer there may be an argument here uh for hiv Uh, hiv as far as black men particularly black Mm -hmm. gay men
1: and even now with with covid because uh, a lot Mm -hmm. of the homeless people that were dying of covid were actually black men Mm -hmm. early on they were the most vulnerable uh, people in the the country uh, uh, with covid
0: right Man, this thing moves so fast. Shout out to Black Uru Strikes. Appreciate the support. He says black men must get on the boards of local school districts. There are black school districts that have boards and superintendents that are almost all female. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're not even used to a male presence in many ways. Um, Number eight targeted small business report, which is particularly important during the covid era. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, uh, We've done a few shows talking about that. Social security and life insurance, family support uh, paternity leave. Right. Uh, black male-specific reparations. Mm-hmm. That's going to yeah. piss some people off right there. Um, but nevertheless, looking at uh, very race, uh, race and gender-specific experiences mm-hmm. um, from the Holocaust of enslavement to now, and how black men actually have grounds to ask for something very specific to their condition. Even if you go back to what BGS was talking about a little moment ago, as far as double minority status, To have certain policies earmarked for black men and hijacked Mm -hmm. for other demographics would be part of this push here in regard to reparations. Reparations doesn't necessarily have to end uh, with the the end of slavery. It can also, you know, come all the way up to the modern day, depending on what the argument is. And I think black men have an argument.
1: Like Bill Uh, Bill Burr said, uh, white women uh, uh, basically... uh, took their Gucci booted feet and stepped to the front of the line when it came to reparation, not reparations but affirmative action.
0: Absolutely. Um, Targeted wealth declines. You can read through that. And the last point on here is the United Nations and the charge to uh, charge of genocide of black males. So Mm -hmm. if you get a chance, go through this list again, newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com look into the black male political agenda. And if you're interested in contributing Uh, Send me an email with your idea. Supporting links and documentation is encouraged. So I appreciate if you can do that. Um, And then from there, we will um, kind of begin to close this one out. So thank you, BGS, for coming up through and explaining uh, your additions to the uh, agenda. And uh, hold on here. Let me get to my piece get this off the screen. We're getting it together, slowly but surely. We are getting it together. All right. So um, as you guys know, as I've said, members, please go to the community tab. I will be transferring over momentarily uh, so we can actually uh, chop it up about tonight's discussion. If you're still interested in becoming a member, again, click the join button below just right next to the subscription button. Obviously, if you haven't subscribed and you're interested, please go ahead and do so. Um, But you guys know how I like to close out the show. I'm here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or emotional uh, punching bags, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, innovators, inventors, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attentions, attention and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace.